0: Hey, everyone. Before we start today's show, we wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the violence that occurred on the Strip yesterday. We're very sorry to hear about this tragic news. Two people died and six people were injured during a mass stabbing attack. At this time, the suspect is in custody. It's a developing story and there's a lot to process. So we'll be coming back to this next week. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I'm joined by co-host David Figler and Jeff Carter, senior editor of the Las Vegas Weekly, to discuss the new developments at Red Rock, Strep Zoo disease at the Animal Foundation, and the celebration of First Friday's 20-year anniversary. It's Friday, October 7, 2022. I'm Vogue Robinson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Yeah, Jeff,
1: do you have any questions?
0: Like logistical questions, not life questions.
1: (laughs) So many life questions, but I I think i have covered on logistical stuff.
0: Very nice intro music. So uh, (laughs) the first topic I want to talk about is the joys of how they keep trying to build right up beside Red Rock Canyon. And I feel like uh, the guy who owns that land in that area, he is unrelenting. So, David, can you summarize what's been going on in the newest update?
2: So, yes, there is a developer in town named Jim Rhodes. Uh, people probably have seen that name uh, over a lot of developments, Rhodes Ranch, et etc. et cetera. He acquired a gypsum mine, which is a place where they, you know, eviscerate the earth to extract minerals for profit. Hooray. And decided this would be a good spot to build a bunch of houses. And so way back Wednesdays, he came up with this notion that he was going to build over 5,000 houses in this area, which is very close to the very scenic and beloved Red Rock area. Obviously, people get very upset when development encroaches upon natural wonders. And so for all this time, there has just been this struggle back and forth. There has been litigation back and forth. There has been votes back and forth. And so the latest development is that the county commission approved... The allowance to build 400 or so units out there, but with a lot of conditions that are still unmet, there have to be all sorts of hoops that Jim Rhodes needs to jump through to even start this development. There's a time frame that was put on that he has to have it done in, which may or may not be doable. Yeah, at four years. And so, you know, look, people are getting super duper upset. There's been some misreporting that this is in Red Rock, it, it abuts Red Rock. There's been some misreporting that, you know, these are all public lands. These are privately held lands that he purchased. They have restrictions on them. You know, look, this is a a person, if you believe in the concept, although it might be outmoded, of private property, he does have rights to do things with that private property. Mm -hmm. The county has made it very difficult for him to do the things that he wants to do. There are still lots of requirements on there, but the litigation forced the hand that this moves forward. That's my my best summary of that.
0: Nice. <laughs> it's it's oh, well, a lot. I mean, well look, done. we could
2: talk about this for weeks, and they've been talking about this literally for 20 years. So
1: there you go.
0: Right. Yeah. Jeff, what have you observed uh, in this uh, battle? <laughs> battle for what to do with this land?
1: Well, I, I don't go back many thousands of years, but I did live here 20 years ago. And remember what it was like to drive back from Red Rock Canyon uh, back into town. And it was a good half hour of nothing until you hit like Fort Apache. Now you've got the Red Rock Casino, you've got stuff that's already abutting Red Rock. I'm, I'm just concerned about the sandwich this is going to make, not just in terms of traffic and, you know, people coming and going, but also uh, light pollution. because one of the things I used to love to do was go out to Red Rock and, you know, late at night and, you know, get an eyeful of the stars. Those are Largely gone, and this is going to get rid of the rest of them.
0: Right. No, and that's that's fair. I know a lot of people are definitely concerned about that. um I know 429 homes for that space is definitely a lot less than the original 3,000 homes plan. So, oh, five, this is Jesus. original,
2: original. <laughs> oh,
0: yes. Give me the facts. So the OG was 5,000 homes. Now it's 429. So I appreciate sure that it's less. <laughs>
2: Justin Jones in his, which we're going to talk about next, statement said it originally started as 5,000.
0: Okay. So who is Justin Jones and what was his official statement?
2: Justin is a lawyer who was working for one of the you know Save Red Rock organizations, a big one, was involved mm-hmm. in some litigation to stop some of the development that's out there, wound up getting elected to the county commission. And this recent county commission vote to allow, again, with all these conditions that need to still be met, some of which might not ever be met, to move forward uh, was unanimous. And so Justin has been taking a lot of the heat for this to the extent where he felt the need to issue a press release that, you know, explains his position. He talks about how, look, it started as 5,000 units way back Wednesdays, and now it's down to 429. You know, we're making sure that different things are happening, but nobody likes it, right? I mean, we're all nimbies when it comes to our nature.
0: Oh, my goodness. Nature nimbies! Is that NIMBYs. who we've all become? <laughs>
2: but it's, it's, it's private property. And as much as it, you know, repulses me that someone would want to develop out there on this otherwise gross and disgusting gypsum mine area cuz honestly that's not the beautiful nature part of that area I think that's like a
0: positive is that they have to stop mining on the yeah. from the article in the RJ it says that they the company would have to shut down its mining operations before construction begins and and the permits can be pulled um, if building doesn't start within 4 years but i mean like i feel like that leaves it open for some wiggle room like well we started
2: Well, and ironically enough, Jim Rhodes has to find the road to get in there. And that's on him. And that might be very difficult with all sorts of BLM regulations and things of that nature. And the argument that, well, you know, we need housing in the community is not not compelling. (laughs) We, we have a shortage of places for people to live, but this is not a great answer to that because this is way off the grid for richy, richy people, not for the people who actually need the housing we have. So there's a lot of back and forth and crosstalk about this. I, I think it's really unfair to beat up on Justin Jones. Uh, I think it's really unfair to suggest that this person shouldn't be able to do kind of some of the things he wants to do out there, even though I and I'm guessing my friend Jeff Carter don't like it.
1: You know, I I understand that we don't have a unilateral power to, you know, stop development. It's just amazing to me that we're here. You know, NIMBY-wise, we've got very little postcard-worthy, you know, natural attractions in our BY. Hmm. And we're we're building right on top of this one.
0: So your backyard can be the postcard. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, if people really want
2: someone to be upset about, be upset at the developer for choosing to utilize the land that he legally bought within the parameters of zoning that has already been established before the fact to build. Try to convince them to do something else. I, I mean, it, it might be a, a fool's errand, but, you know, beating up on our county commissioners on this particular one, to me, seems to be a little bit misplaced.
0: Well, wow, look at you with all your heart. <music> Uh, Speaking of hearts uh, and and terrible things happening in the community, the Animal Foundation is going through it. So I read an article, but of course, I've been kind of following it through uh, (laughs) multiple channels. But the Nevada Current, uh, Dana Gentry had an article and kind of went through almost this timeline of what's been going on. So in September, so, you know, like a couple weeks ago. The Animal Foundation had a plea saying, please help us, please foster our animals. And then October 3rd, they announced, oh, we're suspending adoptions and fosters and transfers out of an abundance of caution because the animals were exposed to a respiratory illness. And it was just like a very vague respiratory illness that the animals were getting. Uh, and then we reached out to them for comment, and they said they're not giving interviews at all. Updates would come through their social media. So it's like, all right, boop, boop. Oh, boop, cool. <laughs> yeah. So we boop, 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 boop. <laughs> so I've been up on their Twitter this morning. Like, well, let me get updates from their Twitter. On October fourth, they started accepting small animals and cats, and seventeen of their dogs were showing signs of the respiratory illness. Uh, What they think it is, and I think one of the animals was actually diagnosed with strep zoo, which is typically found in shelters that exceed their capacity for care, according to veterinary experts. And one of the women, Christine Auerbach, she's a shelter director for Pima Animal Care Center, said in 2018 that it's a terrifying disease. Infected shelter dogs are often found lying deceased in a pool of their blood, like after they bleed out from their lungs. And oh, like the amount of pain the animals are going through and then to imagine how terrible the conditions must be, including and I don't remember the date for when a bunch of their staff walked out, but that combination of your staff is walking out, the animals are getting sick. You can, you can't, you can, you can't take animals. I don't know what's next for them. Um, have you all been following this?
1: I only heard about it in the past day and and, and to quote the young people, I just can't with this.
0: Nah.
2: <laughs> the young people are saying, get our words out of your damn mouth. Oh no. And they're right to say it.
0: That was proper usage, so I ain't mad at it. Figler, are you following? <laughs> I'm trying to remember, where'd you get your doggie? Did you, was your doggie a rescue?
2: My doggie was a rescue from a very small nonprofit. There's lots of small nonprofits that you know are, are doing the Lord's work, taking in animals in their own limited capacity under their own rules and guidelines. Um, Do I follow this? Yes, I do. Is there a bigger picture like in every single story in our community? Absolutely. What is the Animal Foundation? It is a nonprofit that has uh, contracts with, I believe, all the municipalities or most of the major municipalities in the Las Vegas Valley to take on all animals no matter what, Mm -hmm. that they cannot turn animals away. So no matter how sick, no matter how ill, no matter how exotic or rare, no matter how complicated the situation is, the Animal Foundation has to take it on. And this is the concept of what nonprofits do. They theoretically do the work that government either doesn't have the capacity to do, doesn't have the funding to do for less. And in exchange for that, they get tax breaks because they're a nonprofit and they get this contract, but the contract isn't all the money in the world uh, and it doesn't pay for all the things. And I think all of us are big time animal lovers. I know we all have our, our special pets in our lives. You know, we like the idea, no kill, help, save, do everything. And, and their mission is to do the best that they can, but they're not a no kill shelter because they That's not a model that works at that level.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I don't think that's the question here about, you know, what they do and what their policies are. Like, yes, they need more resources. Yes, they need more support. And at the same time, I think that there are other ways they probably could have asked for help because I feel like one or two photos saying we need more help probably would have would have mobilized more people other than Victoria Seaman going in there being like, what is going on here? (laughs) And then Michelle Fiore coming in and cleaning it up like.
2: Well, you know, leaving itself open to to that political uh, exploitation.
0: I don't want to leave Jeff out of of the chat. I'm (laughs) curious right now. So, I mean, adoptions have resumed. They've selected certain dogs that were not in contact with the other animals who were (sighs) <sighs> that were diagnosed with the strep zoo. So, do you think you would go in and adopt an animal from them?
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because they've done, I feel, trustworthy work up to this point, and they're you know they're coming from a good place. The only reason I don't have like 17 dogs is uh, <laughs> I, I'm barely handling the one I have. She's she's taken over. But how could you not bring animals into your home? You know, like you know, over. Something like this, a problem that they're, you know, working assiduously to fix.
2: Maybe before you buy one of these new houses uh, on the gypsum mine near Red Rock, you have to prove that you would be a good foster or adoptive parent to one of these pets and that you have to take one of these pets on. Wow. See, now, now I mean, we're mixing, I, mixing them metaphors.
0: Look at you.
1: <laughs> if they create a kind of dog ranch utopia out there, I think that would buy them a lot of goodwill. Oh, right. I love that.
2: Well, I mean, back to the story. Look, we want all of our nonprofits that do this kind of work in our community, whether it's with animals or with children or, or with with seniors or whatever that is, to be the best at it. And we want our municipalities to only contract with the best of them. And should they get the scrutiny and, you know, the ire that is coming out of them? Well, it seems pretty deserve it. But I guess it always begs the question... Um, You know, if not the animal foundation to do this work, is there another entity to do the work? Because remember, Las Vegas is a big transient community still, and we're ever growing. And the issues with abandoned animals or mistreated animals or animals that don't fare well out here in the desert are not going to go away. And so, yeah, they absolutely deserve what's coming at them right now because, you know, there's a light being shown there. Uh, The question is, what's the fix? And if the fix is to take it away from them, then the answer has to be, well, who takes it over?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I feel like you've thought a lot about this, David. <laughs> that felt like a closing argument. <laughs> I think
2: so. too much. I know. It's like, lawyer David, here he is. I know. It like, was solid. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you know, don't hate the Animal <laughs> Foundation, hate the game.
0: It's Friday. <laughs> And today, First Friday turns twenty years old. It's still not old enough to drink, but no one uh, <laughs> tell it that. Well, no
2: one, no one who's been going there over the last few years uh, has that worry under underage drinking. No, no, not officially. But yeah, that's so,
0: what happened. <laughs> Jeff, so. you wrote a solid article in the Las Vegas Weekly about First Friday turning twenty—a really beautifully, like, reflective article. So, could you give us kind of a summary on? Uh, the joy the tw- 20 years, <laughs> first Friday in Las Vegas in two minutes. No, not really.
1: The Sgt. Pepper version was tw- 20 years ago today that Cindy Funkhauser got Julie Brewer, Naomi Irin, and Joe Cartino to uh, to recreate Portland's first Friday. She'd gone to Portland and was madly in love with it. Cindy uh, ran an antique store called The Funk House. She had a back room where she was already doing art shows. Before first Friday, and and of course Arts Factory had you know sprung up around that time, but they were all doing their shows on different nights, different days, so there was no consensus on when everybody could come and you know and, and see all the new art at one time. The shoestring budget they started first Friday with is still amazing to me. There was virtually no promotion. I think they gave flyers to local promoters like Nicole Sliger, who handed them out with uh, you know band flyers and. In order to create the connection between Funk House and uh, Arts Factory, they used the high-top sneakers belonging to P. Moss, one of your guests this week, huh. painted the soles of them with fluorescent paint and walked from one venue to the other. Oh,
0: like <laughs> McDonald's feet?
1: <laughs> like McDonald's, yeah. <laughs> and that's where it started. And then from there, only, uh, only grew to this incredible thing during the uh, during the aughts where right? I, I, I was living in Seattle at the time, but I came down a couple of times to see this and was, you know, mind blown. Went on for blocks and there was food trucks and arts, you know, craft merchants and, and people doing things with hula hoops. <laughs> and then the crash, the financial crash in 2008 kind of uh, knocked everything back down to size. I'm happy with where it is today. It's nicely contained around the arts district, and that in that parking lot you know, next to our arts district and art square, it just feels like one of the things that resets the month.
0: Yeah, I feel like definitely when I first got out here, was one of the first things people invited me to go to, and at the time, and that was probably what that was twenty thirteen, and I, had, I I met my husband at the arts factory, so <laughs> it was at a painters and poets thing. But later on, we'd go and, and travel traverse through. Uh, What is First Friday? And I think it was just fun to see all the vendors. Uh, I got to meet people who had food trucks who then became business owners and have brick and mortar spots and, and Raw Remedies, which is not on like the direct area, but around the corner on Colorado. But they were having events as well. So I think it's just, I don't know, it's like a block party because it's kind of surrounded by the community too, that it's kind of so... Close to residential area, I find that really interesting and endearing. That yeah, if you live downtown, you could walk over there, and that's cool for you guys. Fresh <laughs> <laughs> driving humans. It's a little bit of a pain in the butt, but I did notice that as we were moving, uh, as the years kind of as the world turned, <laughs> that it felt it started feeling more and more commercialized yeah. and and then the some of the art galleries were just like well let's do preview thursday you know as opposed to just first friday having it be it went from being let's promote the arts to like let's promote everything the city has to offer in one night and so it became loud and overwhelming and and i think the it felt like the gallery owners really wanted a day dedicated to art, and so Preview Thursday was like the chill. Yes, we'll give you some wine, walk around our art gallery, and and be well. And so, yeah, I, I noticed that was one of the things where I, it was something that I noticed.
1: Uh, Wes is, but the Arts Factory owner feels pretty much exactly that way. He he feels it's moved beyond art, you know, into into something else. He still he still likes it. He still appreciates it, but uh, he's he's definitely on the Preview Thursday side of things. He feels like it should be, you know, just. Directly focused on the art in the galleries, which there are are less of than there once was. But yeah, let, let's not go there.
0: Oh, are you sure? Because that's, that's, that's the direction <laughs> I want to go. I'll
1: go there. I'll go there. <laughs> I I, like,
2: there I, are I, hey, is there someone who uh, wants to be cranky about it? David says right. yes. Me. There
0: are more bars in the area. There, we walked down the street and we saw like Cerveza. There's a mezcal. Next to mezcal is a sushi spot. And then there were two or three other bars and I was like, oh, this is, it's a full, it's perfect for a bar crawl. But it felt like, you know, I almost said, where are the galleries? Like, I've got to go further up and back to the Arts Factory, which has like, you know, usually seven to 10, possibly 12, depending on what how many floors you can get to.
2: Well, you know, people who are regular listeners of the podcast heard you talking about how artists are getting priced out down there and galleries are having to move, right? Yeah. So my my take is First Friday has obviously become an institution. A lot of people recognize that. But the thing is that initially it was all about the arts, right? So the story that you tell about these people were very arts-forward, arts-friendly folk. Cindy and Julie and Naomi, Joe, uh, they were involved in one way or another as either promoters or curators or creators of the arts. Um, And they decided, hey, uh, there's enough of us down in this area before it was ever called the Arts District that we should do this. And let's not forget also there was the Enigma coffee shop that was there, uh, that was kind of a hub, so I mean, it was kind of a scene, um, and then it got bought by uh, Tony Shea and Downtown Project, yeah. And then it took on a little bit more commercial component to it, and then you get the food trucks and all that other stuff, and a lot of the kids, and and you know, little by little, the art started. F- falling away mm. even though it was now officially dubbed the arts district but i've also heard it referred to as the brewery district
1: antique alley the gateway district we we've got a it, it's like a neighborhood with subreddits yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly right
0: well it's like you know I, the conversation around like what is art right because antiques technically are can be their own art form depending on how you what your home decor is jeff how how else do you feel that the the tony Shea era of first friday how did how did he impact how did his branding <laughs> impact first Friday, for better or worse?
1: I, I think it brought it to a lot of people who who hadn't tried it yet. Mm. Well, uh Joey Vanus, who ran it during that period, his vision was to expand it to the entire city. Oh he wanted to, you know, make it like this monthly day of, of art and you know mostly Burning Man art because that's what they knew and loved. <laughs> But they wanted to extend it into Symphony Park and then, you know, have activations. They, they love that word in, in Henderson yes. and in Summerlin.
0: They like it downtown, and, too.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and the sheer scale of it, I think, brought in a lot of new people. I, I think uh, but that's the one thing I can, you know, hand to the Shea era is it, it made it seem more safe, I guess, to, to folks who would not have come down otherwise. Mm. You know, because they had shuttle buses. You didn't have to park on the down. You could park over by, you know, the... Uh, outlet mall and get shuttled over and then shuttled out and and one thing i've this is unrelated but one thing i've always loved about first friday is it's it's something for the kids it's something yeah. for the you know 18 undercrowd they didn't have a lot They still don't so yeah. so this was one month they could go out you know one day a month where they could go out and enjoy music and you know and see their friends in kind of a you know nightlifey setting
0: and not get kicked out or you don't need a fake id <laughs> and and yep. when
1: it was
2: a little bit more arts forward I remember a time going down there and you would see displays set up from local students and showing off their and selling their own artworks, like a lot of kids from LVA, the Las Vegas Academy, which is nearby and other places. So, I mean, there was a time, you know, where First Friday was walking around and just seeing a bunch of artists and crafts people selling their wares
1: literally from eight to 80.
0: So what do you two think that First Friday has done for Las Vegas?
2: Ooh, that's a good question.
1: I think it's stuck a pin in us as an arts town. Hmm. It's tenuous at best, because, you know, I'd, especially now, you know, we're, we're a sports entertainment town. It's happening. Yeah. But it's, it's undeniable. You know, it's created a neighborhood with art in its name. Even if there's, you know, maybe two galleries left in it, you know, there's, there's evidence that there's arts here someplace. And, mm-hmm. you know, local visual art has always been a, a tough sell. Not just in terms of you know getting you know people to engage with it, but actually getting people to buy it. We you know, our art market is uh, is up and down. First Friday keeps the dream alive. I hope it continues.
0: Yeah, for sure. And Jeff, I just wanted to clarify something. So you know, at the beginning of your article, you say like you know that the arts district didn't exist. So do you think that First Friday had a hand in making sure that the art district exists and continues?
1: Absolutely. I love the way the city, you know, names things after something. It's like, you know, throwing a dart at a board and then drawing the target around where it hit. You know, but these things work. They called something the medical district. And now, you know, the UNLE Medical School is there. It it is a medical district. Even if the galleries, you know, are struggling to make rent there, having something called the arts district... Is something that's going to stick.
0: If you name it, they will come. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: You know, and,
2: and First Friday is is that ballpark.
0: Gentle folks, what are you most looking forward to this weekend? I am going to a wedding. So actually, I'm going to two weddings on the same day. I have an 8 a.m. wedding and then I have a 3 p.m. wedding. I think we're going to change clothes in between, but it just depends on whether or not we're super tired. <laughs> what are you doing, Figler?
2: I'm super unprogrammed, so I'm just going to hug my dog A lot after the the week's news. I'm going to appreciate what we have in our lives. And he's going to get extra treats, extra walkies. He's going to have the celebratory weekend that he deserves.
0: Beautiful. What about you, Jeff?
1: Uh, I've got friends coming to town, so I'm probably going to go to see Cheap Shot or go see Misbehaves Mavericks at Cheap Shot at at least once, probably twice. The dog doesn't come because she knows what she did. (laughs) (laughs) Poor animals.
0: All right. Well, Jeff Carter and David Figler, thank you so much for joining in on the conversation today. Thank you for being on CityCast Las Vegas. Thank
2: you. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. Happy Friday.
0: All for today here on citycast las vegas our lead producer is sonia cho swanson and our producer is layla muhammad our newsletter editor is scott dickensheets and our hosts are me vogue robinson and that guy david figler <laughs> our theme music is by og moose <laughs> with additional music by epidemic sound and all the kimonos we record this show on the traditional homelands of the new movie the southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. Take care. I'm curious. Okay, what's your dog's name, and what kind of doggy do you have?
1: Her name is Gigi, and she's part Chihuahua, part Beagle, part Weasel. I, I don't know. She's a. They, they call her a super mutt. I'm sorry. Which I, which I just love. <laughs>
2: okay. I've met Gigi. Gigi as a super mutt.
1: I need photos. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> oh, Thank
2: adorable! You. You're gonna melt.